Welcome back to another episode of When Is It Time to Just Eat the Donut, a podcast that shares stories and dares to ask the question, when is it okay to be bold, take risks, and break the rules? I'm Gina Messina, coming to you from Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Ursuline College, ranked among the top 10 best women's-focused colleges in the nation. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Denise Reading, a woman well-known for using her passion to fuel innovation. After serving as vice president at Baldwin Wallace College, she went on to found two organizations, including Get Worker Fit and LDR Worldwide, for which she was recognized as Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young. Denise, it is so, so wonderful to be talking with you today. I always tell everybody how much I um, appreciate you and how grateful I am to know you. You have been a wonderful mentor to me and um, you are such a champion of women's leadership. Uh, You always say you really believe that we need women to really affect positive change in the world. And so I wonder if you can start off talking to us a little bit about how you found yourself falling into women's leadership and what really inspired you. Well, Gina, first of all, thank you for uh, those kind words. But I have to say every moment I spend in dialogue with you and other members of of our team um, inspire me. I have not been this energized and I can't tell you how long. And it's because great women are coming together, sharing great ideas. And uh, that really is about the question you've just asked. And so how did I come to, to decide that it was important to support women leaders? It really started on my family's cattle ranch in Arkansas. I was uh, about 10 years old. And my brother, Kent, and I had been working every single day, no days we could miss, raising 40 head of cattle. And we fed them every, we got off the school bus, we fed our cattle. We got off the school bus, we fed our cattle. We got off the school bus, it it rained, it snowed, we fed our cattle. And then it came time to sell those cattle. On the day it came time to sell those cattle, my dad said, okay, we're going to sell the cattle. And I got ready to go. And he said, oh, no, girls don't go to the livestock auction. That's not a place for them. I thought, well, I worked every single day next to my brother Kent, but the day we went to get our first check, I couldn't go and be a part of that experience. Second thing that hit me was probably I was about 13 or 14 and um, my brother was, you know, probably 12. And in our church life, um, our church was very conservative and women did not have a public role. And boys were taught at an early age to lead songs, to lead public prayer, to preach. And they took turns doing this once a month on on Sunday nights. So it was my little brother's time to do the sermon, do the lesson. So I wrote it. And then he got up there to give it. And he was horrible. And I thought I could do that so well, but I would never get that chance. Wow. And then I was probably, you know, in my It was in my 20s when I had this great opportunity. I was embraced by these very strong women, the women that I call the ladies of last chance. And they became my mentors and they were the head of everything. They led everything. You know, in in one political party, if you wanted to be president, you wouldn't talk to Big Martha and she was my mentor. Or if they were raising money to for breast cancer. You know, Joan was in charge of that. You know, these women were leading in a public way. And while I had been a student leader in college, it was really in that moment where my whole life story kind of caught up to itself and came forward. And I said, this is what women can do. We, We can be the voice. We can be the convener. We can bring people together to about the things that really matter in this world you know, the things that will make a better society, make better human beings out of all of us. Those come from the mothers. And what it did is then it made me think about the 
absolute fabulousness of my the women in my life, my mother, my grandmother, uh, my aunts, how strong they were, how resilient they were. But as I was growing up, because they often were in this culture of a secondary role because they weren't leading out front, I had missed it. And now I know that women lead. We lead from the back row. We lead from the middle row. We lead from the front stage. We lead from everywhere. And so wherever women are in their life, they're, they have the chance to lead. And so that, that's really how I got here. That is such a wonderful, wonderful story. And I love, love, love hearing about your women mentors and the women in your family. Um, I know I'm always talking about the women in my family and what I've learned from them and how I see it as part of my duty, my responsibility to carry their energy, you know, forward. So that is really, really lovely. And one of my favorite things that you talk about in relation to women leaders is this idea that we really need to know ourselves and we really need to love ourselves and every part of ourselves and that you always talk about how much you love your hair. And I love that. I love that you talk about your hair. And so tell us what it is about your hair that you love so much and how it gives you such confidence and allows you to just embrace yourself. Well, you know, Gina, I started probably, I was probably in my 20s when, uh, in fact, I know I was 22 years old when I gave my first public address called Love Yourself. It was about, you know, really loving who you are. And, you know, I found that women just, you know, we're taught to downplay our strengths. We're taught to not be boastful, not to be arrogant. But, you know, if you really have this great love of self, this when you walk into a room, people, people were drawn to you right? They, they feel your confidence. They feel that you feel good about who you are and they're drawn to that. And um, it really probably, again, was probably Big Martha and the ladies of Last Chance who influenced that. And so... Um, along the way over the years, uh, when I was 29, I became the first woman. Uh, I, well, I, w- I was the only woman on the cabinet at Baldwin Wallace and uh, my hair turned gray and people were like, color your hair, dye your hair. And I'm like, uh, no way. This is giving me strength. Right. And then my hair turned out to be this I, for the view, for the listeners, you're not seeing me. I have this really white hair. It's It's that kind of white hair that I love, right? And apparently other people do because what started happening is I would go through airports and people would say, I love your hair. I love your hair. And then people would try to touch it. They would want to touch my hair. (laughs) And I'd be like, okay, that's too close. But, you know, and and so sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'm saying, listen, the way we begin to celebrate ourselves is to find something that unapologetically we're willing to boast about. Unapologetically, we know it's the truth and nobody's going to deny our truth because by starting with something that's that clear, so when I stand up in front of a room of people and say, I love my hair, you know, and scream it from the mountaintop, it allows other things I talk about about myself to also be bold, you know, because nobody's going to deny that I have the greatest, coolest, most beautiful hair. I mean, it's the, <laughs> the color of my hair is awesome. And, uh, and I come by it, honestly, my mother's mother, my mother, her sisters, if I'm with all of them, people are like, oh, you women have great hair and, and you know, it's, it's, it's just a piece of pride. It's a piece of joy and women have to find that. And so it's become sort of a, 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 you know, an analogy or, or a metaphor for finding something that, you know, unequivocally that you are great at it. And, and nobody would argue because when you do that, then you find that second thing and that third thing and you, and you, you live it, you breathe it. It, it is just out there. And, and that helps you have what I call leadership presence. 
I love that. And you have such incredible leadership presence. You command presence everywhere you go. And you have, I think, one of the very, very best eat the donut stories I've ever heard in celebrating yourself and your strengths and choosing to do a one woman show to celebrate your 50th birthday, which is so bold, so, so bold. And Amazing. So tell us about your one woman show. What made you decide to do this? What was it like? Where did you have it? Who came to see you? I want to hear all about this. So uh, as I've talked about in our conversation, I was very influenced by a group of women uh, that I call Big Martha and the Girls or the Ladies of Last Chance. And so every summer from the time I was 22 for almost 25 years, I would go to the beach with this group of women who were my mentors and they were all at least 30 years older than me. I was younger. I was the youngest by at least 30 years. But by being with them, I learned so much about life, about leadership, about the hardships we will face, how our children will disappoint us, how we will sometimes let down our families. I learned about how we were going to deal with death and with dying. And and to, um, you know, we talked about our hair. My good friend, Carolyn Hester, when she had breast cancer and lost all her hair. And the first time she showed anyone herself, her raw self was when she was with us and what a community of friends could mean, but how she identified with her crown, she would call it her crown of glory. Her hair was beautiful and and what it meant to lose it, right? So, I mean, I learned about everything from these women. And so they would say to me every summer, write a book about us. You have a PhD, write a book about us. And I think, oh my word, I don't have time to write, blah, blah, blah. But I had in my mind that when I turned 50, that on my bucket list, that I, and before I lost these women in my life, that I wanted to pay tribute to them. So I decided I wanted to do a one woman show. And so I called my friend, uh, Beth at Key Bank and said, listen, I want to do this one woman show to honor Big Martha and the girls. Would you help me do that? And we could do it in a small theater in Cleveland and we could charge it a price and the money could all go to charity for something that supports women. And she's like, we're in. And then I was like, okay, now I can't step back. And I'll tell you that the show, when I went to the next woman and the next one, I I went to a handful of friends and one of them said, oh my gosh, not only will I support it, I'll support it because if you are courageous enough to do it, we will all live vicariously through you. We will all feel like we can do the thing that we've been afraid to tell anyone. And actually, when I called women and told them I wanted to do this show, I was not bold. I was sort of embarrassed. I was vulnerable. I was sometimes tearful because it was going to be this, you know, I'm asking people to support me in this very raw, personal thing. And um, and to a woman, they were like, oh, I always dreamed of writing or doing. They all had this secret dream that they weren't doing. And they were like, Denise, if you do it, maybe we can do it. Maybe we'll also do it. And so that that empowered me to, to make it happen. And so on my 50th birthday, uh, in the year of my 50th birthday, I guess I should say, I had a one woman show at the Ohio State Theater in Cleveland, where we filled the house and we raised money for the single parent program at Baldwin Wallace College that I had founded um, almost 25 years earlier. And uh, all the money went to help the women in that program. And it was just this great night of women of Cleveland. And I got to pay tribute and two of the women were able to travel and join in the show. Um and it was just fabulous. It was it was a once in a lifetime. And now I want to know, is this recorded? Where can I see this one woman show? 
So it was recorded. It wasn't recorded like really super well. So we've been talking about um, getting it, getting someone to take the original film and try to clean it up a little bit. Right. But uh, we did record it. And um, Big Martha was unable to travel. She had uh, fallen and couldn't fly. And she was the the impetus. She was the the inspiration for, uh, I always said every job I ever got, uh, every move I ever made, I could look back to the day that Big Martha taught me whatever it was that had enabled that next place. And she couldn't come. So we did record it. And then I flew to South Carolina and put the, put the show up. That was the worst part. I have to say, Gina, you want to talk about vulnerable? You're sitting in the room with the women and I was each one of them. Um, I I played all the characters. I was Big Martha. I was Joni. I was Anna. I was Jean. And they're in a room listening to it. And I'm watching them listen to me be them. Right. And uh, they, they, they loved it. They loved it. So yes, I have it. And I, I need to get it out to people because uh, I performed it once since then. And, uh, you know, my intent was that all other women can learn what I learned from these women. These women gave me so much to help my life in every aspect. And by doing the show, I could pass on their wisdom to all these other women who I hope in turn would pass on that wisdom to other women. I can't imagine the sense of joy, Big Martha, and all of these wonderful um, women mentors you had in your life must have felt to sit and watch you pay tribute to them. What an incredible moment and realization of the ability we have to make such an incredible impact on each other's lives. I, I can only imagine how they must have felt. You know, they they would say, who knew you were paying this close of attention? You know, we might be, you know, uh, learning how to make the perfect margarita and cheese biscuits. But in the making of the perfect margarita and cheese biscuits, there was a, there was a lesson there was a lesson there. Or uh, the night I realized that every single woman, we had had an emergency in the middle of the night. You'll have to see the show. We had this emergency. We all got up and every single woman there had on a white cotton gown, except for me. Well, remember I told you they're 30 years older than me. So I had no idea that at a certain time in life, you would sleep better in a white cotton gown because you were going to go through the change. And I, I had no idea. But the next summer, I had a white cotton gown. I didn't need one, but I thought it was the uniform. But it was in those little moments. And I think that as women, we need to remember it's not what we say, it's how we live. It's what we do and how we embrace people in the fullness of our life experience. And then I think as young women, are we watching? Are we learning? Are we listening? I was, I was paying attention. I never, you know, it would be years later sometimes and I'd be like, oh, I get it. I was prepared for this. When my best girlfriend got cancer and uh, had breast cancer and she called me, I knew exactly what you do as a friend because I watched these women embrace Hester. They taught me. They taught me before I even knew that I was going to need the lesson. Wow. Well, Denise, I think you are the living example. And I hope you know, I am always watching and listening to you. <laughs> no pressure. I better behave myself. <laughs> so um, one of the passions you and I share is music. And I thought a great way for us to wrap up our conversation would be to ask you, what is your theme song? 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, uh, I read a great article that you wrote about theme songs, and I have been thinking about it since because I love so much music and I use music in my life that, you know, it, it really reflects what I'm going through. Right. And my first thing when somebody says, what's your theme song? It's, you know, tequila makes her clothes fall off. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not it. I don't. It's a country song. Right. But uh, but in a way it is. It's it because that song reflects that sometimes she just she just for you know lets everything go sometimes she just lets everything go and people who know me know that every day of my life is pretty intent and intentional I I, I live intently and intentionally about the work I'm trying to do to to make a difference make an impact in the world and so sometimes you just gotta let let your clothes let your clothes fall fall off you know figuratively and uh, but as I was thinking about I was also thinking about key times in my life I, I have to tell you that um in the late 80s or early 90s, the song that helped me, um, I was doing a lot of advocacy work and social justice work. And the song that really inspired me the most was Judy Garland's version. When you, now I can't th- say the words because I'm gonna, I'm kind of emotional about it, but um, I'll have to come back to that. <laughs> I'll have to come back to that for a minute. But um, when you walk through the night, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. And there are many times in my year, early age before I had the wisdom that nobody can change the world by themselves today. It takes a journey of a lot of people um, that, you know, that was lonely times when we were trying to make a more equitable world. And now I know it doesn't have to be a lonely time. Just hold your head up high. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and I could just go on and on. I mean, I, I love, I love so many different kinds. I love, love, love country music because it's stories and I'm a storyteller. Um, you know, so many songs tell such great stories about being a good girl, being a bad girl, being a smart woman, making a difference, kicking someone with your boots. I mean, these are the things that, so I, I don't have one. I have many. I have, I, I guess I have music for my moment. I like that. And I think it yeah. makes sense to have many theme songs and it changes over time or there's different songs for different moments in different situations. So I love that. And beautiful, beautiful story. And Denise, it has been just such an incredible pleasure to talk to you. I always so appreciate your wisdom and your storytelling and your incredible boldness. Um, there's so much for so many of us to learn from you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And, you know, Gina, I I just leave you with this. Marion Wright Edelman said, uh, who are we not to shine? Who are we not to be great? If I can live my life and inspire others to live their lives that way, then I know we give permission to every person to have greatness. So uh, thank you for the moment to share. Thank you, Denise. Thank you so much. To learn more about Denise, her many innovative projects, and her one-woman show, visit my website to find some additional links and resources. I'm Gina Messina, and thanks for listening.